Church, my name is Victoria. I have the amazing honor of being your online and your missions pastor. And I have some big shoes to fill. Can we just give a huge round of applause for Pastor Mark, Pastor Audra, the amazing job they do in stewarding us. Can we please? It is... I am always in awe coming up on this stage because I know how much they love you. And so the honor to be here is, is more than words can say. So thank you so much. Pastor Mark is watching at home. Pastor Mark, we love you. We can't wait to see you next week. Yes, come on. We can't wait to see you next week. Amen, amen. Our church, we're going to pray one more time because you know, you know your girl needs help. Come on. We are not here by ourselves. If the Holy Spirit does not show up, we are wasting our time. Number one, number two, there's ice cream. So now everybody is like, can she be done? Because I try, I need, there's a cone with my name on it. Can we pray that the Holy Spirit would just descend? Heavenly Father, we need you. Can you say that right now? Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. We need you to do what only you can do. We did not show up to hear the words of men, but to hear the words of God. And thank you, Lord, that you are pouring out in double measure. I ask for a double portion of your anointing, of your power, of your presence, God. I ask for more. I ask that we would have more than enough, Lord. We would be those cops running over. We would bless the people around us. We bless the people in our lives by what you're about to download into our spirits right now. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you. In your awesome name, we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on. I'm already ready. I'm already hyped. Church, we are in, if you didn't know this, if you are new with us, if you are just joining us, we are in Romans 11. And let me tell you, it is so good. This entire book is so good. I need you to turn, open your Bibles to chapter 11. If you've got that phone app, come on. If you've got the GCC app, even better. I need you to open that app. And I am going to give you the headline up front. I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm going to give you the headline up front. Romans 11 is a testament to the faithfulness of God. I'm going to say it again. Romans 11 is a testament to the faithfulness of God. Now, you're going to get a short history lesson from me. It's called the book of Romans because it is to the church in... We're going to try it again. Guys, we're going to do this together. Church in... The church in Rome. Now, the church in Rome, right, that is not a Jewish city. It's also not a church made up predominantly of Jewish people, and that is a big deal. Why? Because for the, the, the I won't say the totality, but for the majority of human history, there was one people, one nation, one designated race that was given active relationship with God. Those are the Jewish people, right? And so for there to now be essentially a new era in the history of mankind in which the words of, of Hosea the prophet, excuse me, are coming to pass in real time for this church, that a people who were not God's people are now being called his people. And a, a people who did not know him are now saying, you are my God. Amen. So now imagine, close your eyes, imagine that you are a Gentile in this Roman church and you're thinking, uh -huh. look at us, look at us, look at us. We are now God's chosen people. Those Jewish people have rejected their Messiah. And so now the blessings are on our heads. And that's not entirely wrong. However, 
Paul is saying, and you're going to see it right on the screen, Paul is saying something a little bit different. He's saying something a little bit more unique. He's saying, Romans 11:3, God has not rejected his people who he foreknew. Or do you not know, come on, what it says in Scripture in the passage about Elisha, how he pleads with God against Israel. Now, this is the prophet Elijah. He is not advocating on behalf of Israel, which is what most prophets do. This is a moment of weakness for him where he has been through a lot, and he is actually pleading with God against his own brethren and saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response from God? God says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And in the same way, there has also come to be at this present time a remnant. Someone say remnant. There has come a remnant according to God's gracious choice. How good is that? His gracious choice. But if it is by grace, this is huge, guys. Open the eyes of your heart for this one. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. This is massive. This is actually, what I just read to you is the central tenet of our faith. That is the central tenet of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know that every world religion, bar none, is predicated on the idea of do good, get good. Every single one. Do good, get what good. Do nice things, be nice to people, you'll probably be okay. Be kind, you know, don't do anything too terrible, and you'll probably end up in some nice place in the next life. Church, that is the opposite of our gospel. Our gospel says that the one who is perfect did something that you cannot do for yourself. Our gospel says that he took your place, he bore your cross, he took your shame so you could receive his goodness, his grace, his standing, and his acceptance. Amen? This is, this is the opposite of how we're even taught, right? So I understand that it sometimes takes a minute for us to wrestle through this, and this is the exact same conundrum that befell the Jewish people. Why did they say, ah, that Jesus, that's not really for me? Because they had been born into, brought into a system of law by Moses, who was the lawgiver until Christ came. They were locked into a system that said, you achieve to get to God. You work harder, you keep the law, and that is how you'll be accepted. And then Christ came and did the most radical thing that can be done. He said, come to me. Come to me, you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Weary and heavy laden from what, church? From trying to keep the law. You guys are geniuses. Geniuses. You guys have it. Worried, heavy, laden, stressed out, anxious, concerned, upset about a constant need to keep the law. And then Christ came. He came to enact a system in which you get the good you don't deserve because God took the bad that you do deserve. And he didn't stop there. He then gives you his righteousness. Amen? This is mind-blowing for me. And Romans eleven six 6 is saying, right, that we can't have it both ways. If it's by grace, then it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Right, so now what happens? Thank you so much for the slide, team. Romans 11, 11 says, 
I say then they, the Jewish people, did not stumble as sort of fall away from ever, did it far from it. Paul is saying, but by their wrongdoing, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. I'm going to say it again. Romans 11.11 says, I say they did not stumble so as to fall away forever, far from it. But from their wrongdoing, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. And this is my next slide. There is big idea. There is nothing that God cannot use for his glory. I want us to get that deep into our hearts today. There is nothing that God cannot use in our past and our story for his glory. And it's demonstrated right in the text, what Paul is saying. The wall that Israel built to keep God out, God used it as an open door, reached through and redeemed the entire world gave them an opportunity to receive from a good God the incredible gift of salvation that before this point was not accessible to them. When the Jewish people abdicated that rightful place first in line to experience the blessings of the Messiah, the one that came to save them from their sins, God turned around and opened the floodgates. Amen. Opened a brand new, um, a brand new system, a brand new situation so that all may know him. But listen to this. It is not to throw away his Jewish brethren forever. It is not to say, well, you missed the boat. And I need you to hear God saying that to you as well. It is not God saying, oh, you failed once, you've missed the boat. That opportunity that you thought was for you and that didn't pan out, you have not missed the boat. That that situation, that relationship that you thought was gone will never reconcile. You have not missed the boat, church. God is even right now in his divine plan reconciling all things to himself. Amen. He's doing the thing that only God can do. And this is what's huge. How does God do it? Right? It's not sometimes we think God is reconciling people to himself through fire and brimstone, through tragedy, through terrible things. And yes, we all know that after tragedies, right after 9-11 in our lifetimes, churches were packed, right? Lots of people were flooding into church. But did they stay there? No right? Because it's not tragedy that brings people to God in a relationship of love. It is him extending himself over and over and over and over again and being willing to be misunderstood and being willing for people who, with the very breath that he gave them, shame, mock, deride. He loves us that much that he is willing to walk through fire over and over and over again to get to the people that he loves. Amen. And what's incredible in this text is that how he chooses to redeem, how he chooses to reconcile the Jewish people is to provoke them through jealousy of the blessings that we are experiencing. Is that amazing to someone in this room? Through the blessing that we are experiencing God is reconciling his Jewish people to himself. You, church, are his instrument of reconciliation. That people might see in your life the blessing, the provision, the health, the joy, the peace, the freedom of, from worry and anxiety that it might stop people in their tracks. Amen that it may cause them to look at you and to see him. 
You are the tangible evidence. You are the living proof. And it reminds me of the story of Joseph in the Bible when his brothers came to Egypt to look for bread. They, they came because their stomachs were hungry. <laughs> they came because there was a famine in the land and they had heard that there was bread in Egypt. And I wonder if it's the same for us, that we have a world out there that is hungry, that is crying, that is going through day after day after day of hopelessness. But what if they heard from us that there was bread? What if they heard that there was a living, active Savior who loves them and that who's waiting for them? What would happen? Would that cause them to leave everything behind and go in search of that, of that sustenance, of that living bread? And I am so confident that the gospel that we have is more than anyone else can offer. It is not the shifting sands of the world. It is that. It is a testimony to how everything you need can be supplied in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. I've got a couple more points for you guys. Our next big idea is that God does not break covenant. Romans 11 tells us that God does not break his covenant. Now, covenant is a hard concept for some of us in the room, all right? Because essentially in our day and age, there really is no agreement that we cannot litigate ourselves out of, correct? There's no contract that you can't sign that if you can find someone you know, call a few people, you can get yourself out of. That is not covenant, right? Covenant has two distinguishing ideas. Covenants are cut in blood, and covenants can only be broken through death. There are only two, there's one way out, excuse me, there's only one way out of a covenant, and that is one of the parties dies. Now, when God struck the original covenant with Abraham, the reason that the Jewish people are his people is because God struck an original covenant with the person Abraham, making all of his descendants, these miracle descendants, his people, God's people. He, in doing that, he literally put Abraham to sleep and then walked through animal sacrifices in cutting this agreement with this one person, with this blessed man, Abraham. And over the history of the Jewish race, they would continuously offer these animal sacrifices, bulls and goats and sheep and all of these animals as a testament to that covenant because the same Paul who wrote the book of Romans also will tell us in Hebrews 9.23 that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But I need someone to give a praise God that our covenant church is not with the blood of bulls and goats. Our covenant was struck by the blood, the amazing blood that we just sang about, the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. That blood that testifies of better things. It's not like the blood of Abel that says there needs to be judgment, there needs to be vindication, there needs to be consequence. His blood says you are righteous, you are redeemed, you are blessed, and you are loved. That is the blood of the covenant that we get to sing about, that we get to celebrate today. Amen? That's the blood that we're talking about, and that's the blood that the Lord Jesus Christ shed so that we could walk in newness of life. 
Now we get to celebrate that, but unfortunately for our Jewish brothers and sisters, that blood is a stumbling block. You'll see it on the screen. Paul says it like this in Romans 11, 17 to 22. It says, but if some of the branches were broken off, talking about the Jewish people, if some of the branches were broken off and you, Gentile believer, being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will then say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, therefore, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. Now, some folks hear that and they immediately go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. They, they, get, they get tight on the inside. They get scared. I want to I confirm to you, child of God, you cannot lose your salvation. Some people will argue me on that. We can talk in the foyer, but I want you to know that you are secure in the sacrifice that God has made on your behalf. Amen. We are going to be talking. Yeah, no, celebrate that. Celebrate that. No, this is huge. This is huge. I'm going to take a really quick divot. I think Pastor Mark would call this a rabbit trail, but we would talk to some Christians how do you live in the security of the love of God if you think that if you step out of his favor, you're going to be lost? That's a hard place. How do you find security in any human relationship if you think in a marriage, in a relationship with a parent, in a relationship with a loved one, if you think that you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop, for something bad to happen? So this is why I need you to internalize this, that you are loved and you're not going anywhere, okay? Except heaven in the next life, amen? So get that deep into your spirit because it is vital for what we're about to talk about. But we are going to talk about what that cut off means because I believe it's important. But I want us to start back the beginning of this paragraph, right? Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do you know that our only standing church, the only thing that makes us in with God is faith in Christ? Amen. This is so vital because on the outside, our Jewish brothers and sisters, they had the good works. They had the sacrifices. They had the giving to the poor. They had all of it. Jesus himself told them, a crowd had gathered to hear Jesus speak. And in Matthew 5.20, he says this to them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying by that? The Pharisees and the scribes were the holiest people in their society at that time. There was nothing in terms of outside works that the Pharisees and scribes did not do. But he's saying that your righteousness has to exceed that if you have any hope of getting into heaven. Why? Because it can't be a righteousness that is gathered by man, that is conjured up by you on the inside. It has to be a righteousness that you receive from God. Amen. They were the holiest people in their society. They were, quote unquote, the closest to God, but they had no standing outside of the standing of Jesus. You're going to see this on the screen. Jesus came not to bring a righteousness to be achieved, but a righteousness to be received. 
This is something that continues to rock my world. And this is somebody, someone hears this and says, oh, well, this is, you know, licensed to do whatever you want. When the Holy Spirit has transformed your life, you're going to supersede whatever the Ten Commandments says. Ten Commandments says, don't do bad things. The grace of God says, do good to those who need it. The Ten Commandments says, don't cheat on your husband or wife. It doesn't command you to love. Our God commands us to love. The grace of God commands us to love. The law is, 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 a, is a shadow compared to the fullness of grace, what he plans to do and bring in your life. You will exceed whatever law, whatever rule, whatever standard when the Holy Spirit is empowering you to do that. Amen? Only by his grace and only by his power. It is his righteousness, church. It is not ours that keeps us in the vine. I love this part when Jesus is moving into the, the final days of his temptation. He has his upper room discourse. He has essentially his last will and testament that he delivers to the disciples that he walked with, that he ate bread with, that he did miracles with, that he laughed with, that he talked with, that he did life with. These are the last words that he's going to say to his disciples and one of the amazing amazing refrains that he says in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Church, there is no godly standard that we can reach apart from faith in Jesus. He is the standard. He's the measuring stick and no one can reach it without him. It is him supporting us, not our own work supporting ourselves. And like I said, I believe with my whole heart that you are saved, that you are marked by God, that you have purpose on your lives, and that you are not going to be cut away from God. Because frankly, in this exact same chapter, those same branches that that. Paul talks about his Jewish brothers being cut off. He's about to describe how they're going to be regrafted in. So clearly that's not what we're talking about, but we are talking about something that I think is, is super important. If we go back to the slide previously, if we look at what Paul is saying, it says that they were broken off for their unbelief, but that you stand by your faith, right? They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand, church, you stand by your faith. Faith in what? Jesus, right? Right answer, right? We're in church. The answer is always Jesus, so faith in Jesus. <laughs> but then also, you stand by your faith in Jesus, and Jesus as your righteousness, as your standing, as your ability to come to God and speak like a friend. I love what we just said about how this, this love relationship with Jesus, how are you able to do that? What gives you the right to be able to come boldly into the throne of grace? That word boldly in the Greek literally means free talking, that you can just come and say whatever. You don't have to have a pre-written script. There aren't specific prayers you have to say when you get into the presence of God. How do you... Mortal human have the right to come before a holy God who is perfect, who is without flaw, who sees everything without any deception, who can see through any situation, who knows the beginning from the end, who created time in the universe. How do you have the right to do that? Faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. 
It is him and him alone who causes you to have right standing in this free talking relationship where we can speak like a friend, where we can come and be like, Jesus, did you see what they did at work today? Do you see this coworker? I am sick of this person, Lord. How do you have the ability to do that? And just talk like you're talking with a friend. It is through faith in Jesus and Jesus as your righteousness. And so Paul is telling the Romans, don't be proud that you received something that they didn't. Recognize where your help comes from. Recognize where your acceptance, your ability to stand before this God, recognize where that comes from. The rejection of the Jewish people has nothing to do with people groups and ethnicities and has everything to do with faith in Christ. Again, do not be conceited, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. Begs the question. So I just spent some time telling you not cut off from salvation, but cut off from what? Cut off from something, right? So I don't know about you, but I feel, especially in these last days, unfortunately that there are some well-meaning Christians who are saved, who are going to heaven. But when you look at their lives, it's like hell on earth. There is sickness and disease and defeat and poverty and addictions and destructive lifestyles and you name it. And these are people who don't just bear the name of Christ, but are, are powered by the Holy Ghost or powered by the Holy Spirit. It's like the resurrection power of Christ is on the inside of us, but we can't find the switch to turn on the light. Like a house that's fully wired with electricity. But it begs the question, why are we living in the dark? Right? I believe the light switch is in this verse. And this is vital because if God's grand plan is to provoke the people around you to jealousy, there should probably be something in your life that people are jealous of. Amen. There should probably be something in your life that looks different than the rest of the world. When things are hard and challenging, you should probably have a joy that passes understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense, an ability to rely on the Holy Ghost in every situation. And so when people know that you're going through a hard time, but they see a smile on your face, they're going, that doesn't add up. That doesn't make sense. I have to know what that is. I once had someone tell me years ago, I was working at one of our schools in Manchester and we were talking and we were laughing and she, I mentioned something about going to church and she, she asked me about that and I said, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't help it. I love Jesus. I love being where he is. And she looked at me and she said, wow, I had no idea you were a Christian. You're so nice. And that has stayed with me for the rest of my days because we definitely need to be making a difference in the world, but it can't be through a hard, legalistic, mean God. It's going to have to be through the radical, awesome grace of Christ. It's going to have to be a proclamation of that amazing goodness 
that amazing grace and the one act of kindness on our behalf of him sending Jesus to the cross, not because he hates Jesus, but because he loves us, that Jesus chose to go willingly. He said his joy would be full in reconciling us to him. And letting the world know that instead of believing it is finished, instead of taking that gift of salvation, they continue to be on the hamster wheel of doing and achieving. But church, it is your job to receive that supernatural life and power that causes you to go above and beyond in your family, in your ministries, in your jobs, in your life. I have one more slide. Paul says it like this. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of the mystery, so you will not be wise in your estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. I'm getting excited. I'm getting hyped. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Who knows? Someone's sins in this room has been taken away. My sins have been taken away. Your sins have been taken away. Not just put to the side for a moment for when you get to heaven, the list to be brought out and everything that you did to be read completely washed away. So when you stand before God, you know that I am righteous, I am accepted, and I am loved. From this standpoint, I didn't even finish the rest of the verse. From this standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Do you see that, church? Even in Israel's unbelief and failure, God hasn't forgotten them, and God hasn't forgotten you. If he'll do it for them, he'll do it for you. He has had a plan to save from the beginning. He says he'll remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He takes away not you and your works and not even for his, their sakes. That verse says for the sake of the fathers, for the sake of that one covenant with Abraham, God has been doing 3,000 years of reconciliation. So how much more? for the sake of the covenant with Jesus Christ that each one of you belong to, will he not do everything in his power and his power is absolute to redeem, restore, bless, and save in every area of your life? How will he not with him also give you all things? What won't he do, church? I'm saying there's nothing. There's nothing he won't do for you. I'm not saying that everything works out how we imagine everything works out for his glory. And you can expect his goodness and his mercy, God. His mercy and his goodness to seek after you, to bless you. He says that his gifts and callings are irrevocable, literally without regret. That word irrevocable, without regret. He doesn't regret for a moment choosing you, taking you as his own. No matter what you've done or what you've experienced, he does not regret his choice. He says he chose the finest. That word again in the Greek, he chose the very best. It's like going to uh, the supermarket and choosing the very best. That's what he did when he chose you. And he does not regret. He has plans for every gift, every dream, every plan that he's put into your heart. Every opportunity he has a plan for. Everything that he has designed, he will do. He says his words go down like dew and they prosper in the thing that he sent. 
And so I'm believing for that to happen in each one of your lives. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, then this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We want to say, invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching. Thank you.